Hi folks, Pastor Russ here. Thank you for tuning in to hear this week's message. It is our prayer and our hope that this message will be an encouragement to you. And so we just want to say blessings to you as you listen to this week's message. In Upper Manhattan, there's a lot of apartments. Some strange people in New York City, and I love New York City, it's the melting pot of America. Are you cheering because you're from there or you're wearing underwear from there, which I wasn't sure. There was a 500 square foot apartment and like most apartments it had a door and like most doors it had a handle. Behind this door in this 500 square foot apartment, the tenants to the left and to the right noticed these smells and these sounds and this sort of interesting odor that was coming out from the backside of this door. They were wondering what could it be. Weeks passed by, no one had seen the tenant for some time. They wondered where or what was behind this door in a 500 square foot apartment in Upper Manhattan. So they called the police, the police came, and they actually drilled a hole through the door. They looked inside of it, and what they saw changed everything. We're going to leave you with that. That's just mean, right? I'll tell you what was behind the door. You've got to hang with me, though. I didn't expect this kind of reaction after that. I, the goal is to have you lean in, not booing, okay? So here we go. Last week, we opened up our Genesis series with Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and we, we focused in on the breath of God and watched how through Scripture you see the breath of God work, not just in creation, and how powerful His breath is. Even the slightest whisper, as the Scriptures say, can speak into our needs. Now today, we're going to focus in on maybe not so uh, you know, great of a story when you look at the fall, Genesis chapter 3, and we're also going to look at chapter 4. And when we break this particular uh, passage down and we look at this beautiful garden that we spoke of last week, and we know that there's this fruit that we're not to eat, and you start to see this unfold as this serpent, this snake shows up. And that's Satan himself, and he begins to, to speak to Eve as she's there in the garden. And that's where we're going to pick up today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn them open to Genesis chapter 3. And while you're turning there, since this is God's Word and we believe that He speaks to us, I'm going to pray that God would ready our hearts for receiving that. So while some of you are turning there, let's go ahead and pray as we begin this message this morning. Father, I thank you so much for your word, how you guide us, lead us, instruct us, grow us, and use us as we get into the word of God. And I pray, Father, that you would allow our hearts to be open to receive what it is you have to say today. And so, Lord, we pray for application, not just hearing a message. Lord, we'd really, truly lean in and say, God, what do you want to say to me? And so we thank you for this time this morning. We ask your blessing over it. Father, use me to speak your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read some of this. We'll also read a little bit of chapter 4. But the Bible says that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? You see how Satan sows doubt into our lives, especially around God's word. Well, she says, of course we may eat from the, the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. She said, God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. There you get a little bit of a, did God really say you can't touch it? That's like we're taking his word and we're going like a step further with it there. Maybe a lack of balance there on Eve's end of really knowing what God was saying. Then in verse 4, this is what Satan says. You won't die. And right out the gate, that is a direct lie from the enemy. The reality was if she were to eat this, she would taste death. And Satan's a flat-out liar. The word says that he's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. And those who partake in dishonesty and don't have integrity, they're practicing in character with their lowercase father, that is, Satan. But our God is a God of truth. And as Satan is lying to her, he says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God knowing both good and evil. And I think Satan's got a few playing cards that you see here in this particular scene that he plays on us all the time. The first one is the deceit. He, he, he likes to get that going, Lie, lying to you and getting you hook, line, and sinker with those lies. He also, though, he plays on our pride. Notice how he phrased this, you'll be like God. And a statement like that kind of causes us to go, yeah, you know, that feels kind of good to sort of have my own authority and my own ability to, to do what I want to do and make my own decisions and to know things that maybe I feel like I'm missing out. And I, that's the big one I want to point out in this particular setting because I think that, that feeling of I'm missing out that creates a lot of bad decisions. How many of you have ever made a bad decision because you felt like you were going to miss out if you didn't make that decision? Okay? Half of you. All right. Well, you missed out on being able to raise your hand there. And So here's the thing. I can think of situations. People make dumb purchases because they feel like they're missing out. Anybody aware of that? Okay? We make dumb decisions because we feel like we're missing out. It's not just a teenager peer pressure thing. We hit on this in the Sunday school class. We all have our settings that we do life in, and there's a pressure sometimes that if you don't do this, if you don't get on this right away, if you don't take advantage of this moment, you'll never have it back again. So you better just go ahead and make that decision. And then we're like, I shouldn't have made that decision not just a buyer's remorse, 
there's a remorse that happens when we act in that, that moment where if we just had a little more patience to go, God, is this really what you want me to do? And, and, and not be so impulsive. You see that happening. Verse 6, the Bible says, the woman was convinced. Satan had her. She was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And in reading this, I kind of ask myself this question. For Eve and for us, which voice is louder? God's word and instruction or Satan saying, you're missing out? Which one's louder to you, day in and day out? To be in tune with God's word means we have to get in God's word. If you don't get in God's word, the world we live in will tell you much louder that you're missing out. And, and Eve listened to the wrong voice. And she was convinced. Now, if you take this word and you, and you look at where it's at in other places in the scripture, it's translated into the word greed. It's like not only was she convinced, but she's like, I want that. Like, that's, that's mine. I got to have that. Like, you're full in now. Like, this is mine. And you go back to pride. I think the root of every single sin is pride. I mean, if you really boil it down and say, why am I making this decision? It's because you're trying to, to, to do this for yourself. Every sinful decision, I think, is based on pride. That's the root. And it looks so enticing to Eve. And the Bible says that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And so sometimes there's things, they look real shiny. And they look really good. But you've got to know the word to be able to differentiate, is this a decision I should be making or is this not? And you see Eve stumbling and really understanding what God said and listening to what Satan said caused her to stumble. Continuing on, the Bible says that she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from God. We addressed this in our Sunday school class as well today. Can you really hide from God? You know, we, we think we can. You know, like we have this ability in our mind to sort of shut shut him off, and we think, if, if we can do that, he can't see what I'm doing. You know, we can, we can turn this faith light switch on or something like, if it's in the dark, I can do whatever I want. Oh, but it's Sunday morning. Pop that thing back on, and glory, hallelujah, load the car, we're going to church today. Church is over, we have lunch, and then football's on. Now we're yelling at the TV. Now we're mad at our spouse or our kids. 
you know, Monday carries over and we're ticked off at our coworkers or our boss because they just don't get it. They don't see things my way. We flip those light switches on and off like we can just somehow do that. You can't hide from God. You cannot hide from God. And here's the thing. Once you make the mistake, there's something that creeps in called guilt. Okay? And what guilt does, guilt can cause people to shrink back. And they can isolate themselves. They can distance themselves from God. Because I've made the mistakes that I made, I'm not going to go to church on Sunday because I'd feel too guilty. And I think, you see how the enemy causes not only you to stumble, but then how he causes you to be isolated. And when you're isolated, you get picked off real easy. He wants to render you vulnerable. Keep in mind, the enemy wants to destroy your life. That's, that's his desire. So he deceives you, he sucks you in with pride, he makes things seem better than maybe when the reality they're totally not. And once he gets you in and you feel bad for what you did, now he shames you and he condemns you. And I want to tell you something right now. This is not in my notes, so you get this one just out there, but here's the deal. Satan condemns people. The Holy Spirit convicts people. There's a difference. Conviction leads you to Christ. Condemnation leads you to the corner. You're going to be all alone over there, and you're just going to sit in your mess. You're not good enough. You never will be good enough. That right there is the voice of the enemy. But the Holy Spirit and conviction, he says, here's the area that we need to work on. I'm not going to throw you to the corner. We're going to work on this where we're going to move forward in your relationship with Christ. Maybe somebody needed to hear that today because you just walk around feeling condemnation every day. But I want you to switch that and say, you know what, the Holy Spirit can help me walk forward, not stay stuck in this place where the enemy would render me ineffective. Verse 10, God says, I heard you walking in the garden. Or excuse me, Adam said this. So I hid, and I was afraid because I was naked. And God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Now, here's the thing. God is all-knowing. He knows everything. Do you think he already knew the answer to that question? Why would he ask that? Adam, did you do this? Why do you think he asked him that question? Yeah, He gave him an opportunity to repent, to confess. God in his grace, have you done this? And then you kind of smack your head because Adam goes, it was the woman that you made, it was her. And then this, it shifts to her and it's like, here's an opportunity for Eve. He goes, what have you done? Verse 13. And she goes, it was the serpent. Like we're shifting that again right over here. It was the devil. He made me, okay? And we shift and we shift. It's like this blame game. And here's something to know about sin, especially when, when we're walking in that guilt and that feeling of isolation, is we'll try to shift it. We'll make excuses for it. It's like the things that we 
we get caught up in. If you start getting comfortable in those things, you can start making excuses for your sin. The other part is, is if you know you need to get right with God and you're feeling that conviction, but the enemy's forcing it in like condemnation, one thing that can happen is you start making excuses as to why you don't want to go to church. And, and listen, people come up with some of the craziest excuses to not get in fellowship with other believers. Sin will do that. Sin will do that. So the fallout, Satan's curse, the Bible says you're going to crawl around on your belly, which makes us wonder, did snakes used to have legs? Put that one in your mind for a second. That's a little bit, uh, right? But he says there'll be enmity now between you and her offspring. We've got spiritual warfare that's going to take place. And here's the other thing. You might bruise the offspring, Jesus Christ, by putting him on the cross. But I want you to know something, Satan. He's going to crush your head. So right out the gate, God's like, here's the answer to this mess. I'm sending Christ. He prophetically makes that statement as he curses Satan. Then to the woman, by the way, you now have birth pains. Thank you. Right? And the other thing that comes along with that is there's going to be a desire for control that women will struggle with. They want control over their husband. And it's not just there, but when sometimes women are in situations and they, they've got to have control in certain situations. And women can struggle with that. That sense of control. Flip this around for the man in verse 17. Now the ground is cursed. So you're going to be spraying your fields for all the weeds, right? You can point back to this, farmers. But I think you've got to understand as men, one of the curses that we have is we feel like there is so much work and there's not enough time to get it all done. And so we live in this world where it's just like this constant rack race where it's like I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do this, so then we can get short with our wife, we can get short with our kids because we got work to do. Okay? These are sort of the baggage that we all carry and it's all a part of the fall. So then they get removed from the garden. And we transition now to chapter 4, and I want to bring some things forward with this particular story, because Adam and Eve start having kids. And maybe you've heard of these first two, Cain and Abel. And I want to pick up in verse 2 here and read this particular story. I think there's some things that we can hold on to in the, in the battle against sin. I think you can catch some things in their story. Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel, and when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions, or another translation would say the first fruits of his firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Now this made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Before we carry on with this passage, I want to emphasize 
a few things. If you've been following with us in the Proverbs reading this past week, it just started last Sunday, in chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of everything that you produce. The Bible doesn't say necessarily specifically why God rejected Cain's sacrifice, but we can pull from this and say it's obvious this was a hard issue. What I just read is that Cain gave some of his crops, and Abel gave the best. And I think through my life, and has there been times where I've just given God leftovers instead of giving him my best? Has there been a time for you where we just kind of give God whatever's left of my schedule, whatever's left of my, my surplus on income, whatever's left of my talents? I'll use it, all this over here. I'll rise to the top in my work field, and I'll think of what God wants kind of as like when, when we have time, God, when we have time, the best. God wants the best, and that's what Abel gave him. That was the issue, and Cain got ticked off. So much so, you start seeing some things unravel here that were uh, not very good. If you go to verse 6, God speaks to Cain. He says, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? Verse 7, this is the power verse in this whole chapter, in my opinion. You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Here's the issue. Cain did not give his best. And so, since God did not approve of that, Cain got frustrated. Cain got angry. He got angry at the fact that God didn't like his sacrifice, and he got mad that God liked Abel's sacrifice better. And so, in that anger, if you know the rest of the story, what happens? Cain kills his brother, Abel, because he's upset over all this. And you see this verse, if you refuse to do what's right, watch out, because sin is crouching at your door. Cain did the wrong thing, and now he's upset, and the devil can do a lot when we're angry. The devil can do a lot when we're angry. James chapter 1, the Bible says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Anger is a tool of the enemy. Now, there is such a thing as righteous anger. Jesus was ticked off that people were in his temple selling these animals that people could take in for sacrifice. It was like the convenience store of the temple. I don't have to bring my animal all the way with me. I'll buy it in the temple. And the people in the temple were making profit off of these animals. Jesus shows up, 
And what does he do? He's whipping tables over. He's cracking whips. Okay? This was wrong. And it's okay to get angry at sin. It's okay to get angry in regarding disobedience. But you've got to have that anger under control. Because it can quickly get out of hand if it's not truly in the perfection of Christ and his righteous anger. Reality is, is you and I as sinners, we might start with a righteous anger, but then it ends with, oh man, I shouldn't have flown off like that. Ephesians 4 says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. A foothold to the devil. You give him an opportunity if you camp out in the anger camp too long. He gets a foothold. I'm going to take you back a few years to when I was a wrestler. I played basketball and things like that, Palmeray Palmer. We were kind of a uh, school known for basketball. I couldn't play basketball to save my life. Although, I, I, you know, I can dribble between my legs on occasion, you know. Um, but that's about it. Lance, you've played ball with me. It's bad, isn't it? Yeah, don't say anything. Okay, so um, I loved football, though. And my sophomore year of school, my head wrestling or head football coach said, we're, we're bringing wrestling in as a school. And so since you're really good at football, why don't you go out for wrestling? It'll make you a better football player. And I'm like, great, sounds good. And so I don't know anything about this sport. I'm like jumping in cold turkey. And I go out there, and my first match, guys, lasts like maybe 11 seconds. Maybe. Like it was years later, I, I, I see this guy. That was my first match ever. And what, you know what he remembers about me? That's the guy I pinned in 11 seconds. It was, it was so bad. So bad. It was bad, 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 bad. I didn't know this sport. I was like, you get out there and you're like, I have no idea what to do. And before you know it, the match was over. And you're like, well, <laughs> I guess this isn't what I'm cut out for, but apparently it's going to make me a better football player, so I'll stick with it. But one of my first weekends for tournaments, which, by the way, I had no idea what that was going to be like, but apparently going all day in these tournaments is really fun, and especially when you only wrestle for 11 seconds at a time. So... Um, Anyways, we go to this tournament all the way over to Central Elkater, so like miles away, border of Iowa, because my coach used to be from there, and he worked us into some tournament. Like I'm like three or four matches into my career, which, by the way, I'm 0-4, in case you're guessing. And my first match of this tournament is against a guy that's like six-foot-something, and he's got muscles in places I don't even got places, Okay? <laughs> This guy is like, whoo. And I look at coach and I'm like, that's, that's him? You know, like, seriously, just give him the match. You know, we'll be done with this. And before the match, the guy's suiting up with this mask that goes over his face to protect him from nosebleeds. So imagine this big old guy, and this mask was like the color of skin too, right? So he's got it over his face and you're just like, no. Like, this can end quickly. And I, I'm just, I want to tell you, the match went for about 15 minutes. And part of that's because they had to stop the match for my nose bleeding. 
because it was so bad. Coach was like, we should get you one of those masks. Obviously, you need it. But this guy was, he was big. And I'll tell you this. There's one moment I remember vividly. And again, this is years ago. Years ago. One moment I remember vividly. You get in your base, and the guy comes to cover, and the ref's going to blow his whistle. And I knew one move. Remember, I'm new at this. And that was jump up and get out of there as fast as I can, right? That's the only move I knew at that point. And so the whistle blows, and I jump up, and this guy grabs my, my foot. And just like he, you know, just like he's lifting something simple off the floor. And I was like, bam, right down on the mat. And it was a matter of moments, and the guy pinned me, and we moved on with life. But he had my whole body going in a direction simply because he had my foot. And I want you to know something. When Satan can grab your foot, he can stop your progress of moving forward. He can send you right down on your face and say, I've rendered you ineffective. Now, I share a light story like that, but to recognize the importance of not letting anger create a whole mess for you and for the people around you. Satan can get a foothold on you if you cause anger to continue to stew in your life. One note I made this week is that if we give God our best, then I think we'll pass most of, of the tests. You know, it, that's all it could have started with for Cain. Just give God your best. But he didn't. And then it made this huge mess. thing about temptation is the Bible says that God will give us a way out. Whatever you're walking through, the Bible makes it clear it's common to man. You don't have a specific thing. You're like, I'm the only one on the planet that struggles with this sin issue. The Bible says whatever you're struggling with, it's common to man. And whenever you're tempted, God will give you a way out. There is always a way out. That's a promise from Scripture. You don't have to act on that sin. God will give you a way out. So next time you're feeling that temptation, you're feeling that enticement, that convincing, whatever's going on where you just feel that pressure, go, God, your word says you're going to get me a way out of this. Help me. Help me. Thing is, is will you pray that? Because what happens is, as we get in those moments and we have that pride and we want that particular sin, is we'll start to suppress that promise from Scripture and then we'll go and we'll take what we, what we want. We got to be careful. Be careful. We need to subdue sin. Scripture says that. Subdue it and be its master not the other way around. And what's sad is there's Christians who walk around today and the authority of Christ lives in them, yet they walk around with their hands cuffed behind them because they're still stuck in a sin issue. They still can't let go of something because they love it too much, they're hooked on it too much. It's this constant struggle. But because of what Christ has done on the cross, he's shamed he shamed the enemy, and he broke sin's power, and you can be set free. You don't have to live in this. You don't have to be mastered by it anymore. The scriptures say, subdue it 
and be its master. I want to I teach you guys something, okay? It's real simple. Repeat after me. No. no. Next time you feel that urge to do something you know you're not supposed to do, just say that. No. No. Want, do it with me one more time, just in case you haven't figured that one out. Say it. No. No, 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 like it's just like bouncing around in here. Some of us have several issues. Here's the thing. Another thing I've said is that when we say we're dead to our sin, if there was a dead body that was right here, it would be unresponsive. If you're dead to sin, that means you don't have to respond to it anymore. That's where that no comes in handy. You say, I'm dead to that. I don't have to do that anymore. Christ gave me the power to say no. So you know the rest of the story. Cain goes out and he kills his brother. And in verse 9, the Bible says, Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother? Where is Abel? Now, what did I say about chapter 3? Did God know Adam's situation? Does God know what's going on with Cain and with Abel? Absolutely. He gives him a, an opportunity to confess what happened. He knew where Abel was. But Cain, are you actually going to speak this forward in confession to me? And what's interesting is this all started for Cain to have an opportunity to give the best. And the Bible says he gave some crops. And in verse 12, the Bible says, God goes, no longer will the ground even yield good crops for you. Like you had your opportunity, and now the blessing is gone. No more good crops. I want to go back to that apartment in Manhattan and that door. You've been hanging with me, now's the moment. When they were able to look in there, unfortunately what they found was an owner who had been mauled by a 500-pound Bengal tiger that he was keeping in his apartment as a pet. And it started with this probably cute, fluffy little baby Bengal tiger. Right now some of you are like, oh, I want that in my home. Okay, flip to the next one. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah, not so cute anymore. See, the thing is, is some of these sins, they start out real cute, and we, we kind of hold them close, and this is my little thing, and, and before you know it, wham! It destroys your life. And you go, how did I get here? It's because you coddled sin. And the word I feel I'm supposed to say to you guys is if there's anything lingering, kill it. By the power of Christ, say, I'm dead to that. I'm done. No. The owner had a baby Bengal tiger, and over time, the owner couldn't feed that thing enough. So it fed on the owner. And to think, there comes a point where our appetite for sin, if we keep feeding it and feeding it, It'll grow to the point where we can't feed it anymore. And it consumes you. 
and you walk around with this weight and you're going, I want to get rid of this. How can I get rid of this? And the answer is in Christ. I want you to watch this video of a little bit of a, a mongoose snake and squirrel action. Squirrel colonies usually work together to fend off predators, but this female has decided to go it alone. She fluffs her tail to appear bigger, distracts the cobra, and shields her body from the snake's strikes. Sharp teeth deliver a quick bite to its tail. The cobra's strike could kill her. Drop for drop, the Cape Cobra's venom is thought to be more deadly than that of the black mamba. She's batting out of her league. Her cocky confidence takes a hit as she struck. But it's just a blade of grass. It's a reality check. She needs to back down. The action has caught the attention of a far meaner neighbor. In seconds, the squirrel's gone from snake killer to scaredy cat. She's bitten off more than she can chew. But lucky for her, this yellow mongoose is the resident cobra hitman. It's game on. It's, it's game on. That was, it's like the squirrel got in way over its head. And the reality is that's where you and I are at a lot of times. We think we can do this battle alone, but there's a resident hitman, as according to that video, and that's Christ. And it's only in the power of Christ can you walk this life in the midst of what the enemy wants to do. And so while this was a moment in history that caused a lot of things, one of the things that we see is that God had an answer for how to deal with the problem of sin. And he said it right when he was speaking to the snake. He said, Christ will crush your head. And I'm telling you guys, the victory we have in Christ, that allows you to be set free from sin. But you have to come to a place where God's giving you an opportunity, just like he gave Cain an opportunity, just like he gave Adam an opportunity. He knows what's going on in your life. But the opportunity here this morning is, are you going to confess it over to him? You say, God, help, help me deal with this. Because even though there's sin in this world, and even though maybe we've screwed up, and we screw up time and time and time again, and we feel like we're too far gone, the Bible tells us that God's grace can cover it all. It can cover it all. And maybe you're sitting here today, and you've got no struggles. You're not struggling with anything awesome. 
I'm so thankful for that. I think purity, integrity, all of those things are important in the walk of faith. But I think you can take this little moment here and say, have I ever let anger sneak in there? And I've made decisions that I shouldn't have made. These are things we can apply into our life. And one of the greatest things I can say today is that if you're living in a life of sin and you've not found the answer in Jesus Christ, today I'm going to give you the opportunity to turn to him, to come in and to help you conquer the enemy. And so will you bow your heads with me as we pray together. Father, I thank you so much that you have an answer to sin and the issues that come with it. Your word says that sin separates us from God and that the wages of this sin is death. But Father, in your grace, you sent your son Christ to die on a cross, rendering the enemy powerless. But we have to respond to that. And so, Father, if there's someone here today, they're ready to move from this life of sin and begin this relationship with you where they have victory over sin and they can have the freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. Father, I ask that you would draw that person, draw them in, convince them in their heart that you're the answer to all of their struggles. You're the answer that can, can bring a new wind back in their sails. And for that person today, Father, I ask that they just simply pray with me in their heart and say, Jesus, I come to you a broken sinner. And I'm thankful for the grace of Jesus. And today I... In that grace, I ask for forgiveness of my sin. And I ask that you'd help me to, to live for you. To leave my old way of life and the sin that I'm stuck in. And to walk in your ways and obedience to you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to live in those who receive Christ by faith. And Father, that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us to live for you. And so Father, people who are genuinely praying that prayer, saying, I want Christ in my life, Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd empower them to do that which you desire to do. Father, I also pray for, for many of us. Maybe we are followers of Christ. We've made that decision to follow you, but yet time and time again, we trip on things we should not be tripping on. That same Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Lord, I, help, I ask that you'd help us to walk in strength and obedience to you. Lord, we confess our sins. And your word says that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you, God, for your grace. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for watching this week's message. It is our heart to follow up with people if they've responded to something that God did in that message. One thing we want to note is if you just gave your life to Christ and you prayed that prayer at the end to receive Him into your life, we want to send you this free resource called Now What? And this is a journal that comes with the Bible, and it's designed to help you grow and take the next steps in your faith journey. If you're interested in receiving this free resource, we encourage you to simply reach out and connect with us here at the bottom of the screen. You'll see you can email us or you can send us a text message. Simply text BELIEVE to the number that you see here on the screen. We want to get this into your hands so that you can grow in your faith. And it's our heart here at Faith Community Church to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. Thanks for watching.